Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everyone. It's your wicked wizard of the West, the witchy witchy Holden McNeely. And it's me, your fucked up serial killer. Stand in the corner. Don't look at me. I'm fucking crazy, bruiser. And cowabunga, it's me, Michelangelo. (laughs) From the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles episode, just popping in to say <laughs> hi, guys! Oh, Michelangelo! Oh, I just farted a pizza! <laughs> Wanna smell it? See, Michelangelo's the Mike of the group, and I feel like Holden's the Josh. And yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I don't want to get, I don't want to get too big for my britches here, but I'm clearly the Heather. I'm gonna skateboard away now, guys. You're starting to make me feel uncomfortable, but I'm gonna say this right now. Don't do drugs, kids. Michelangelo, you clearly do the most drugs <laughs> out of any of the 90s cartoon characters. Unless it's edibles. <laughs> if it's edibles, then just don't take more than 100 milligrams of THC. <laughs> Thanks, Mikey. <laughs> All right, today. Heroes in a half show. <laughs> we, we got a full minute out of that bit, Jake. <laughs> and today we are discussing uh, uh, a film that... For me, it's, it, 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 I have to get into We'll get into it later. But I actually literally hit Jake up being like, maybe we should do more than Blair Witch. Maybe we should do like found, found footage horror films as a whole. We'll cover, uh, you know, Paranormal Activity. We'll cover Cloverfield. Like the whole Quarantine, thing. Quarantine, all the hits. And Jake's like, you're insane. That would be like an absurd amount of research to do for one episode. And we would like not be able to cover anything. We'd just be like screaming facts <laughs> at each other the whole time. And I said, you're right. I just feel like I kind of love, but also kind of hate Blair Witch. No, I appreciate Blair Witch Project for what it is. I have memories associated with Blair Witch Project. You're being too much of a, you're being too, uh, and, and you're being too much of a peacemaker here. Tell me how you really feel. I don't, I just don't think it's a good movie. Okay. But I think it's an important movie and we'll go, we'll get into that. Before we get into that though, this episode is actually sponsored by a, our lovely patron, Fright Day. Fright Day is a weekly podcast about horror, hauntings, cryptids, conspiracies, aliens, and true crime. Pretty much all things Fright Frightening. On, a, on occasion, we talk uh, with like-minded creeps like Roger Corman, who did uh, Death Race 200, among other things, Barbara Crampton from Reanimator, Henry Rollins from Black... Really? You guys got Henry Rollins? It's amazing. Sid Haig, Mike Flanagan, Ethan Embry, uh, Patrick Bryce. Uh, you got... you got. How are you... Why do you guys even need to plug your show? You're getting all these huge names. Frightday.com also has a great team of writers keeping you up to date and giving you their take on the genre. I've been to the site. It's super fucking 
fucking cool. These guys have said such kind things to us as well about how they feel about our podcast. So I really just appreciate uh, the support from these guys and was so happy to do this episode for them. He said, if it bleeds, hacks, stabs, summons, sacrifices, possesses, abducts, or bites, it is Fright Day. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, or anywhere you pod your casts. Uh, uh, he also wanted to just mention the more important more important than the interviews, the guts of the show center around a weekly dark topic, conspiracies, aliens, UFOs, paranormal, cryptids, true crime, that sort of thing. Um, and it's followed uh, by a film review of a new horror release. And they wanted us to do... Uh, they wanted us to do an episode on Blair Witch Project. Now, Jake, you literally just saw the movie, which is insane to me. I saw this movie opening weekend, opening night. Um, I was, I was all excited. We were like, dude, apparently this, this really happened. This is going to be terrifying. It was showing at the Manor Theater. It was one of the only places it was showing at. The Manor Theater was my beloved indie theater in Charlotte. It still exists and I still love going there. You know, the seats are like not very comfortable. It's got like two theaters in it, you know, total. But they can hear the one movie through the wall, the other. And, 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 but at the same time, they were the only place showing like the real shit they had. Train Spotting, Requiem for a Dream. You know, it was that that theater that you went to go see those movies at, and I loved that theater so much. So we get just a the, little bit of Sundance in the middle of North Carolina, and it was really wild because they were kind of blown away. And this really ties into what the, the what this story is all about. This Blair Witch Project film. It, it, they the, the place was completely sold out. We were just barely eked in to get a couple tickets. The you know there were lines around the block. Every showing sold out. You know. Uh, and and the people running the theater were just so bowled over that this it was like indie films finally broke through into the mainstream with this movie and you could see it on their faces the people who worked at the theater they were just so shocked and and exhilarated at the fact that like they were the big blockbuster at of the moment the indie theater you know they had it and uh besides that though one thing that i will never i'm so mad about we like read a little thing about it in the newspaper there was this big article about it in our Charlotte newspaper mm-hmm. and the fucking dickhead in the article was like it's not real it's fake it's a movie and like right before we left we read that and we're so disappointed and even like walking into the theater like everybody's also trying to keep the game alive mm-hmm. even the people who know are not trying to get it out to the people who don't know that it is not r- real and I'm just so sad that I read that fucking article I'm so upset. I went with my buddy Ben. I remember it like it was yesterday. I literally can see myself in Ben's house, like reading the article and then like going there. It is like actually stuck in my head so strongly. Um, saw the movie, kind of loved it, but I feel like I episode one loved it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like I hyped, I hype loved it. And then upon uh, subsequent- For those of you not uh, familiar with the term, episode one loving it is when you- <laughs> Uh, were a teenager, early teen, late child in the uh, late 90s, and you watched the Phantom Menace episode one, and sitting there in the theater, it was bright and colorful and had enough lightsabers that you walked away going, that was pretty neat. <laughs> exactly. And <laughs> then Only you rented upon it. later, without the hype and the emotional You rented it from Blockbuster several months later, and you sort of got the real story <laughs> on what was going on with that. And and so, yeah, I definitely was like, I just really like the idea of you in the middle of Blair Witch Project is all these like people are like cry screaming directly into a camera, and all like, oh, all like there's stories of murder and like grainy footage happening and you just yell now this is pod racing <laughs> <laughs> exactly and it, it it was an experience like 
now that I look back and I look back on this movie, because I've, I've watched it, you know, I think I rented it when it came out on video uh, and rewatched it again. And then I saw it several years later up in New York um, on like a Halloween night get together um, uh, and definitely walked away with it. Pretty sure of my opinions on it. I, I've just seen the movie more times than you ever really should. You should really only watch it once without knowing that it's fake. <laughs> it's yeah. like the best way to watch it. Um, and I never got that. And I wish that I had gotten that experience. But I will say That's, this about the movie. I think that the movie the movie drags. Obviously, the camera work's like not great or whatever. But that's on purpose. But like the movie really drags. I, I mean, think. it's not it's not entirely on purpose. Like they wanted yeah. it to feel amateurish. But then on top of that, the actors didn't know really were how to use the camera. particularly bad at using <laughs> yeah. a camera. Yeah, uh, uh, and, and they were, you know, pretty amateur actors, you know, um, for what it's worth. And But but uh, the movie's so important. It, it, it changed, it actually, you know, looking back in and out and doing the research, and we'll get into all of this. Uh, I feel like that's my new tagline, by the way. We'll get into this. Uh, I feel like this movie changed film changed the way uh film was monetized after that point uh people realized like this is the most commercially like in terms of just disparateness between how much it made the and ratio. how much it cost the ratio is so extreme for it, I mean, how it, much the movie cost to make and it how much since it made been beat by other found footage films ironically enough. ironically enough right so and and it also was the launching pad for one of my favorite subgenres in film found uh, footage horror film. I, it is, I love it so much. I've seen Paranormal Activity in the theater. I love the VHS series. Um, I also love some of the deeper cuts, like the uh, the Insane Asylum one, uh, Grave Encounters, I thought was a phenomenal found footage horror film. I love found footage horror and um, have really enjoyed uh, found footage ever since. And this really was the launching pad for that. And then, and then, uh, lastly, uh, what we'll get into is is just the way that this film was actually made is incre- is actually very a very impressive uh, like experiment that went that actually succeeded. And so we'll, we'll yeah, we'll dive on in. Now you just saw this movie. Yeah. Uh from so this took me back to a very specific time and place, having seen it for the first time, knowing that it was fake, like, okay, fine, but get even just like being exposed to like legit handy cam footage uh-huh. and seeing these like young ass 90s ass kids in the woods. Yeah. It was like, I can see what fueled the hype. Did you watch it with Marie? Uh no, oh, okay. uh, she was she was uh, she was doing something else. Okay, I just um, would have been curious as to both reactions to the film, but yeah, yeah. Um, but she was playing Fortnite, wasn't she? Maybe. <laughs> they got it's season five, man. They got the riffs, they got the carts. It's it's free for all. We're bleeding money. Um, uh, even I got the battle pass. It's it's awful. Oh, Jake, it's awful. how dare you? Uh, okay, how but no. Let me you? let me let me break it open. Um. The realness of this movie, even though uh, I'm sh- here's the thing, Holden. I bet you are like way too exposed to like mediocre New York improv actors to see through the bullshit. Oh yeah. But uh, from where I was sitting, the handy cam footage, like the realistic, even just like the ticks in their speech as they were like arguing in the woods, uh-huh. was a very. It felt real. It what it felt perverse. It and felt. It was uh, like halfway legitimate. That stuff. Yeah. You know. I mean, they really were given. See, you know, secret instructions. They were hiding things from each other. They were, you know, so half and and they were starving in the woods. Yes. You know, like legit were put under under stress and strain. So I think that you do get some real moments. So I don't I, I don't want to like harp on oh they're amateur actors and they're definitely all bad. Like 
they did get some real reaction and emotion from them. And uh, more specifically, I remember that even though I didn't see it at the time, I remember the gear shift that was this movie back in high school. Uh Yeah, I think high school. Yeah, high school. Uh, Because horror had been kind of like reduced to either sci-fi spectacle with stuff like, I don't know, species. Event Horizon. Yeah, or it was like slasher movies. Uh-huh. Or, scream, scream, or scream, you know, which was yeah. literally putting the nail in the coffin. Yeah. And it was a very ironic time. It was a very like yes. plugged in time. And here was this sincere ass thing and this mysterious thing that didn't put it all out there for you. And this is it real thing. Yeah. I think that really, you know, I mean, it, it harkens back to a time when people are passing out in the theater watching The Exorcist. You yeah. know what I mean? Because they buy it. They think it's completely real. And that, and that is the history such of cinema. a hard thing to achieve. <laughs> the and history of movies is filled with like weird stories of people just being unfamiliar with a certain filming technique and just being like, oh, fuck, it's real. Well, that train is coming right the for train. Yeah, yeah. People running out of the theater thinking a train is coming for them. Right? And it is so, especially today, a modern time. And I don't even think it's it would even be at all possible. They were able to utilize the internet to pass off the lie mm-hmm. uh, in, a, in a, a wild way that would be uh, un, unable to happen now, I think. There's no way they could even fabricate the lie now. It's oh, just no, too... We're too... We're too uh, we, we have too much... It's the information age. We oh. have too much information, arguably. Although, hear me out. The, here's the... Oh, God. We're cracking layers upon yeah, layers upon let's layers. Just, let's, I like this. So, yeah, let's so just, here's the thing. Uh, we have more information now. We also have more disinformation now. True. If anything, this is like original fake news. This was the original creepypasta. This was Slenderman. Yeah, yeah this, this is like the first. Uh, this thing exposed so many new weird weaknesses in culture so that a professionally made movie bought at Sundance by a major film distributor could still have the air of like, yo, dude, like that chick is dead. Like that chick is dead, yo. Let's piss on her. Uh, also, no? <laughs> one of the things, one of the things that I think the movie, uh, a lot of people, like one of the things that turned me off from the movie is, you know, a bunch of my friends saw it and I was like, so what's the monster? Like what, what is it? It's like, you don't see the monster. Yeah. And I was like, oh, fuck that. But so many other found footage movies like try and go for like, uh, the big, like, you know, spook them up. And then finally the monster appears and it's this bad practical or digital effect. And you, it all, the reality breaks down. That's the fact why... that you don't see anything, the fact that all you get is like these distant noises and flashes of like weird off kilter set design actually like raises the, the bar. The yeah. fact that they managed to like to this day, watching it for the first time, that ending in the house is it hit. This like you, sure. you know you're so full of chaos you're so disoriented just like the 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 characters uh, you know that they're gonna die but you don't know how it's gonna happen and then like all you're left with is this one fading shot and a camera drop yeah and you're just like oh shit and the rest right. you have to fill in in your own mind it is it is the the best way to do it. and again it, it it even more so sells the. Could this be real? Because it's like in a if you just found this footage, if it was legitimately found footage, <laughs> you wouldn't necessarily see the monster or like there wouldn't even necessarily be a monster. And again, that's why I just love paranormal activity so much. It does the same, you know, a similar thing, but it almost heightens it to a new oh, level yeah. where you like are seeing what the monster's doing, but you just can't see the demon because it's, you know, the fucking cav- shit. Oh, the caveat, movie. too, that like this was like rusty cans and yeah. like degraded tapes that they found in the woods uh, adds to the adds to the realness because they can make cuts in the weirdest spots. They can like yeah. show things for the like 
seemingly arbitrary reasons because, hey, that's all that survived, man. Right. When in reality, as we'll get into it, uh, basically the movie is just from this legendary eight-day in the woods shooting. Uh, it's just the takes that were the most believable. Yeah. They just like handpicked like the most like real moments between these characters. So just to maintain the illusion of reality. Right. Even if it didn't serve classic A to B story structure. Right, right. Um in okay. October of 1994, <laughs> three student filmmakers disappeared in the woods near Burkittsville, Maryland, while shooting a documentary. A year later, their footage was found. There you go. That's so how, that's how the movie was made, guys. How, yeah, that's we got it. it. Um, but in reality, <laughs> oh, uh, reality. the film was conceived. Yes. That's Doc, where I'm, I'm fat and broke. Uh-oh. Who's that knocking at the door? It's Dr. Reality, and he is here to give us the real deal and hopefully not try to kill us like that Way Way Back Machine guy. <laughs> hey, everybody, it's me, Dr. Reality. You, 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 did you file your taxes? You got to start thinking you about your taxes. You should start for on next year's as well, to be honest with you. <laughs> I keep a spreadsheet from... All right, get out of here, Dr. Reality. We'll take it from your here. Your parents aren't getting any younger. <laughs> Oh, fuck fuck you, Dr. Reality. Fuck you, Dr. Reality. So this uh, film was conceived by two men. Daniel, is it Myrick or Myrick? Uh, I don't know. All I know is both of these guys look like they're in different ska bands. Yes, they do. And Eduardo Sanchez. Uh, Myrick was born in Sarasota, Florida. He graduated from the University of Central Florida Film School in 1994, um, as did Sanchez. Uh, his early work after uh, school was Florida-based music videos and commercials, and he caught the eye of an indie film guru named John Pearson. Noticeable, okay, this guy is a legend. John Pearson uh, produced the first works of Spike Lee, Richard Linklater, Michael Moore, and Kevin Smith, along with these guys. He is the 90s indie film god. Yeah. He's incredible. And he caught this- It's like a Willy Wonka of grainy black and white footage. Yeah, and and he really shepherded this film into existence, essentially. Sanchez, Cuban-born but later moved to the U.S. with his family, graduated from the University of Central Florida as well. They found uh, together, hanging out, they found documentaries and paranormal phenomena scarier than traditional horror films. Of this, Myrick says, this idea came up about being in the woods and you come to an abandoned house. We started talking it through and thought about how nifty it would be to shoot a documentary. You're being led to this house and you can't turn away. So uh, they decide to form Haxon Films. Haxon is uh, a 1922 silent documentary horror film. It, oh, it, did you look this up? Yeah, I've, I've known about it. I've what? known about it. It's I terrifying. I have never heard of this thing. And yeah, it's it terrifying. Is in, okay, you can look this up on YouTube. It is in like 4K. I do not understand how this footage survived this well. <laughs> but you are. you can look this up on YouTube. You can find the original film. And it is crisp and clear. You are looking at like... A very you are looking at ghosts. Yeah, it is as close as I have felt to looking at ghosts. It's terrifying watching the footage from Hacks. It's like legit scary. So. Um, they form Hacks and Films. They headquartered uh, the Hacks and Films in Orlando, Florida. And uh, they also had three other graduates of the UCF film program. Greg Hale, Robin Cowie, and Michael Manello all joining them for this. So, Greg was super integral on this. In interviews, he is yes. like very gung-ho. And what he brought to the table, because he was more, he wasn't as much of a writer. He's a producer, right? Well, that was, you know, they were all in film school together when they were like brainstorming this. They hadn't even like graduated yet. 
uh, and he basically was like, all right, you want to do this in the woods? I was, uh, he basically uh, went into the army, so he had training on survival. And yes. he basically was like integral in planning out like how they would navigate the woods, how they would survive, how and, much food they'd need. And we'll get, I, I have a lot on that. Okay. And we will, we will, we will explore that more once we get to the more of the filming process. But going into it, at this point, they, they're just starting to look at different influences to try to guide them into making this sort of new kind of horror fake documentary. Uh, they were very influenced by the film style of the late 70s TV series In Search Of. It is uh, essentially a series that investigated the paranormal and controversial. In they Search did of Sasquatch. In, in search, search of UFOs, Lincoln Assassination, Jack the Ripper. Pretty much like last podcast, Fright Day, uh, you know, that sort of thing. Unsolved but in the mysteries. Sa- unsolved mysteries. That a sort lot of, thing of reenactments, a lot of, uh, you know, witness interviews. And found footage as well, right? And all kind of wrapped together. And we're all aware of shows like this, but I would definitely love to check out In Search Up. It was three movies, I think, to begin with. Um, and then they made a series out of it. And the series went for like a while. It went for six seasons or something. They had a it ton of It was very episodes. easy to amuse people in the past. Oh, it's still, it's still easy <laughs> to amuse people today. Please, come on. Not my battle-hardened brain. <laughs> Just show him a picture of a big ass. <gasps> <laughs> That's all you got to do. So jiggle. Haven't you been on the internet? It got broken because of a giant ass. <laughs> also, uh, they were influenced by the 1970s extraterrestrial documentary Chariots of the Gods. Have you seen that? I really want to watch that now. I've, I mean, I've heard of it a million times. I just never actually watched it. There was also a uh, another really big one for them was the 1972 docudrama The Legend of Boggy Creek. Oh, the, I ch- looked up this one. Garbage. Awful. <laughs> Genuinely terrible. Stage interviews with locals and reenactments. Well, it was like a guy, kind of like these guys did, a guy just like, Borrowed a bunch of money and just made this fucking fake documentary in a small town in his weird small town using like actual locals and stuff. And in that sense, it's very fascinating. But yeah, one does wish it would maybe turn out a little better than it did. It was essentially a a, a seven foot stinky monster like like that of Bigfoot, um, similar to it. And of course, there's Jaws as we were just talking about. You know, keeping the monster away from the eyes of the human. You know, in order to scare them more. Whatever's in your imagination is more terrifying than the real deal um unless it's cthulhu i think cthulhu is just legit and he can just exist and be scarier than anything i could think of uh horrid unknowable shapes horrid unknowable shapes and uh there's also some other uh influences that made their way into the film uh ellie kedward which is the name of the blair witch that's an anagram for edward kelly who is an english renaissance occultist and self-declared spirit medium in the late 1500s he used a shoe stone or mirror to summon spirits or angels and also claimed that he was able to transmute metals into gold a la alchemy um also uh the 1940s uh fictional child murderer rustin parr in the film is an almost anagram of rasputin rasputin was a russian mystic and a self-proclaimed holy man who worked for czar nicholas ii uh actually last podcast on the left just did a very uh deep dive on rasputin so go (laughs) just go there to find out more about that guy so that's the thing is they populated this mythology with a bunch of like Stuff that sounded legitimate, literally yeah. like tricking your brain into sort of remembering these same syllables and being like, oh, yeah, that that pans out. That feels right. Um, and, you know, again, I, I really want to draw this back. Uh, the practice of the creepypasta, the, cra- yeah. the practice of creating these short, sticky uh, horror tales that like upon reading, you have no choice but to like feel like they were real uh, hadn't been done yet. And, you know, it's a very viral 
um, uh, art form because it's very personal. You're sitting alone, you're reading it quietly, and you kind of just go like, shit, yeah, oh, fuck. And then you're just kind of disquieted on your own, and all you want to do is like talk about it with someone else. Right, and and dive deeper in and go search. And this is where the internet's so useful, right? Because then you have more places to look deeper into it, you know? I, I This recently happened with something. Oh, um, it was that fucking idiot YouTuber who uh, got booed off of Just for Laughs the other day, <laughs> right? And so like I started reading about this guy, and now I'm... All I can think about today is the sky and what happened. And now I have the all of the internet in front of me. And I can just keep trying to take deep dives on this story that I already know all the Each answers take to. Hotter than the last. Exactly. And, and and just learn more and more and more. And like it, yeah, exactly. And forget uh, other people's tellings That's of what known happened. That's in um in in popular circles as a Wabbit hole. <laughs> yes, it's it's the internet rabbit hole, and and something like Blair Witch is such a perfect sp- place setting it's for rabbit bait. For, Let's it's, say. it's rabbit bait. It is is the best because there's all these different things. Oh, and it's based off this, and there was this other story about this murder, and this is just a place where bad things happen, and it's a shame that they weren't able to franchise this out a little bit smarter and better, and we'll get into that later. But um, uh, as as I think the film distribution company really fucked that up, but uh, it really was is a ripe place uh, a setting for many many stories to be told other than just this one and that's that's what makes so they it have so this idea for a setting they ha- they have this idea for a mythology they have this idea to make a fake in search of uh production and they have this idea to make it a horror movie now they need actors and the yes. first thing they do is place an ad uh in uh i forget which particular call sheet but you know they needed they went to new york to try and gather actors uh the the official the official copy is improvisational feature film exclamation point HFP is holding an open call for the Black Hill Project non union with pay travel and meals shooting October to November for three weeks in Maryland seeking women and men eighteen to twenty five with a natural look extremely challenging roles to be shot under very difficult conditions. 2,000, I will say, desperate actors showed up for this audition. The audition... Who's the actor that's just like, take it or leave it? (laughs) I mean, if I read something like that, it said like extremely extraneous, like very little pay. I don't know. I don't know how game I would be. I'm not even an actor, and I've gotten roped into like really (laughs) shitty student film sets. (laughs) So 2,000 actors come out, and the audition is essentially just a single question prompt. You've served seven years of a nine-year sentence. Why should we let you out on parole? Well, no what, introductions, no nothing. They want people off on the, you know, on their back ready to foot pop in and just having to like just bullshit as quickly and instinctively as possible. Michael C. Williams, uh, one of the actors in the film, uh, he we'll played just, the character. Michael, Mike Williams. They always play, yeah, they play themselves. So it's Michael Williams, Joshua Leonard, and Heather Donahue. Joshua Leonard ends up essentially just getting a pretty quick uh, entry uh, into casting because he could just operate a camera. Yeah, and they needed somebody to be able to operate the camera uh, because they were going to be wielding the cameras themselves. Michael C. Williams said of this uh, prison sentence prompt, "I did my best Morgan Freeman and Shawshank Redemption impersonation, <laughs> and I made it to the next round. There was no lag time. You were improvising as soon as you got in the room, and if you weren't ready for that, you were gone." Now Heather Donahue says of this question prompt, "I guess I was the only person that said I don't think you should let me out." <laughs> 
Yeah. Of prison, which is great. Heather Donahue also said of this uh, experience, I'm one of those people who has the idea that you should always do things you're afraid of that don't involve prison or the hospital. There was a little sign that Greg Hale had posted in the hallway at Musical Theater Works that basically said, this shoot will be grueling. We don't care about your comfort, but we do care about your safety and the entire thing will be improvised. And I was like, game on. This sounds amazing. So better woman than me, I will say. A better now- Better than me. Can we get into these three actors? Because please, no, no, like not like facts. Like just talk about like the. No, I wanted to literally put, insert myself <laughs> inside of these three actors. I didn't want to talk I'll wear about a them. Mike suit. I want, I'll wear a Mike suit all I, day. I want to become a little man, and I want to be shoved inside of these people at rocket fucking speed. So, in the original mythology, it's supposed to be Heather and Josh are like classmates at Montgomery College Film School, a Maryland film school. Yeah. And uh, Mike is just one of Josh's like friend of a friends that agrees to do the audio for the, for the uh, recording. And they were originally supposed to have been in a relationship, too, I believe. But they ended up cutting that pretty early on. They were supposed to be like, uh, they were supposed to be chummy. They were supposed to be friends in The Curse of the Blair Witch, which is a fake documentary yes. about... Within the fake documentary. Did you watch that? I watched clips of it. I couldn't get all the way through it. Um, But it goes very, like, when people are like, oh, no, you don't understand. Like, it 100% stone-faced, like, sold the idea that these three people were dead. They made fake backstories for them, introduced fake family members. Like, this was, uh, it does, like, way more world building about the mythology and these individual characters' backstories than even the movie does. Yeah, yeah. Again, adding to the idea that you see this confusing, scary, jumbled incomplete thing and then you have to go out and rabbit hole your way into creating a a complete story and that was a big risk that they ended up this is not what they set out to make they set out to make in search of they Uh, did not set out to make that's we'll get to when they're done filming for that right so but but i was just gonna say that you know they were taking this was like a huge risk that they were taking to just have this like found collection of found footage very little explanation like people have to understand how novel that was at the time and that uh, so much so that they the the you know artisan right it's artisan asked them to make this documentary you're, you're referring to to try to fill in some of these gaps to try to like fill it out a little bit more but even that's kind of crazy like that again very unheard of at the time you know so immediately there's weird tension between Josh and Heather because uh Josh, I feel like, was just kind of like this confident, semi-handsome, like, 90s dude that, like, yeah. moved to New York to be an actor and an artist. And Heather yeah, he was, was all, in, he was a he was very bohemian, yeah. like, dude. He was like, I didn't, he was one of those guys, like, I was just doing everything. I was making documentaries. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was being an artist. He was, like, exactly the dude I see in New York, and I'm just, like, want to smack him in the face. In like, modern like, interviews, he's wearing a pork pie hat. That's all I'm going to say on the subject. <laughs> And he married Canadian actress Allison Pill. Look at that. Good you explained friend. that to me earlier. And I said, who? She's that redhead from Stuff. <laughs> um, I'm looking her up Heather now. was in musical theater class. Yes. <laughs> and like she has that like musical theater commitment energy, you know, because like it takes one thing to be like a cool actor. It takes another kind of person to be like, I will tap dance on top of a moving like uh, stage platform if you want, if you need me to. Right. And so from the beginning, like he's kind of teasing her and kind of like negging her in the movie. And like they don't get along very well. Meanwhile, Mike shows up and the idea for Mike's character is he was going to be the audience circuit, the one that was like kind of more easygoing, a little less intense, but the first person to call out bullshit when it starts happening. Right. Uh, There's a scene in the movie. I I swear to God, I love Mike. Maybe it's my own pasty faced soft boy uh, uh, kind of uh, 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 self-reflection. But like 
There's a scene very early on before they're like truly fucked where like Mike has to jump over a creek with like a full backpack and he looks kind of nervous and then he makes the jump and they're both like, yeah, Mike. And he looks up real happy and it's like really nice. <laughs> he like farts in the movie. He remembers the name of the skipper from uh, Gilligan's Isle. He's the heart of the movie. He's the guy that should die first. Always the comic relief character dies first to prove how like dangerous the situation has become. Uh, meanwhile, Heather carries Heather Donahue carries this movie. She is so a hundred percent believable in her role as this like sincere, but like thinks of herself as like spooky, cool, like alt uh, film student girl and a ton of the tension in the movie. It isn't even about like being hunted as a witch. It's about these two bros having to like follow orders from this kind of flighty girl who keeps insisting that she knows like what she's doing when even she like admits in later interviews that she was a hundred percent lost. And mm. that like tension is so believable. That is yeah. so real. If you've ever like worked on a film set or worked in any sort of creative group and like, uh, you know, the way she's like snarky and funny in one scene and then like freaking out in another, uh, you know, she is literally the core of this movie. She's not like a, tradi- you know, she's, this is, I, I was like trying to say this to Marie earlier. I was like, you know, she's not like the traditional scream queen. And she was like, Jake, hold the fuck up. That's a beautiful woman. You're just like burnt out after like watching too many like slasher But even movies. she herself was like, I was different. I didn't look like, you know, um, the she normal. She wasn't a Drew Barrymore. Hero- she- yeah, it just wasn't like the, that, you know. And that's the other thing is these are these are people that weren't Hollywood actors. Yeah. These were people that you like were would see more in your day to day life. Mm-hmm. And then as shit gets more raw, as they're more confused, desperately like trying to grab onto any information that they can only to find more mysteries, uh, you know, and how they each individually react to it with like Josh just basically like p- getting pissed off and like shutting down Mike just snapping and Heather just like keeps filming the uh, one of the biggest uh, jokes about the movie is like, what kind of idiot keeps filming when they're in the middle of this life or death situation. Right. They totally address it in the movie and they explain like how and why Heather like is holding on to the camera uh-huh. as like a tether to reality and the idea that like she's still in control as long as she's still filming. Right. It's it's great. It's there's so much like brilliant little stuff in there that elevates it beyond the crap and like cynical stuff that it inspired. And such such a big part of that and everything you're describing comes to the base core concept of how the quote unquote script and how this all was kind of achieved through with with no actual written dialogue. They essentially first of all this okay, they they made like an 8 minute fake documentary with like newspapers and news footage and, and fake stuff. And it was aired on a series called Split Screen that ran on the IFC channel, hosted by John Pearson, that guy I was talking uh. about earlier. And that is actually what allowed them, I believe, to raise the rest of the funds and kind of get it together enough to uh, make this thing, right? Okay. Uh, I think, I believe, I hope I'm not ch- uh, chicken before the egging right now. I mean, now. it definitely, this was part, still part of the rollout. So they write a 35-page outline for the film with the dialogue to be improvised. Merrick says, we, needed, we knew it needed a structure. If 
if you back away from the film itself, it's basically a three-act structure. We wanted it to feel real, but we didn't want to go out there and shoot haphazardly. We had a very detailed story plan where we outlined it as you would a script and in some ways more detailed, mapping out uh, hour for hour what they would be doing, where they would be, and the general gist of conversation at any point in time. It was effectively a script without the dialogue written in. It ended up being 38 or 40 pages. Um, Oh, also really quick too, the township Blair was named by Eduardo Sanchez after um, the fact that his sister went to Blair High School. And uh, so essentially the way they're communicating with the actors is the actors have these CP16 film and high eight video cameras. Um, The cinematographer was Neil Fredericks. He just provided them with the cameras and then they're just given clues to their next location through messages hidden inside 35 millimeter film cans left in milk crates found using global positioning satellite systems. Now, this is all what you were talking about with Greg Hale and his crazy military background. Um, uh, Heather Donahue says of this, each of the film canisters would have our initials on them. We would read the instructions for that scene, and each of those instructions was in conflict with each other. So that basically provided the skeleton of what the conflict was, and then we were free to fill that out. For we our liked. audience, uh, let me just break it down. If you're very old, you remember film canisters are what they used to hold uh, rolls of 35 millimeter <laughs> photography film. If you are a little bit younger than that, film canisters were those things that you would buy weed in. And if you are very young, you have never seen one in your entire life. Hey everybody, it's me, your bearded bruiser, Jake, here to talk about this week's sponsor, Keeps. Now, there's a specific moment in every balding guy's life when he begins to notice that he started to lose his hair. Maybe he had a haircut that took way shorter than you'd expected it to. Or maybe you wake up in the morning and have just extra hair on your pillow. Uh, It can be pretty uh, disheartening, you know, the inevitable march of time, aging, the devil, the grim reaper, all the dark forces, genetics, it's genetics, not the devil, grow up. Here's the thing, you're not powerless, you're not hopeless, in fact, there's two FDA approved treatments that are proven to actually let you keep the hair you have. All you have to do is just saddle up and actually start taking them while you still have enough hair that you want to keep. That's what Keeps is here for. It's an amazingly easy and cheap way to go about solving your hair loss problem. I've talked about my own experiences with these medications. They do work as advertised. You just got to use them. Getting started with Keeps is easy. The sign-up process is only five minutes long. You just answer a few simple questions and take some photos of your head. Uh, You know, get a friend, get a mirror, you can make it work. Then a real licensed doctor remotely reviews your information and recommends the right treatment plan for you. And you don't even have to leave the couch. I did mine in the back of a cab. For only $10 to $35 a month, plus if you keep listening, we'll tell you how to get a free month's treatment, you are getting a hell of a deal to keep your hair. There's no reason to put this off any longer. Stop your hair loss today the easy way with Keeps. The packages come on a regular schedule. You don't even have to think about it. Ah, here's the deal. To receive your first month of treatment for free, you have to go to Keeps.com slash wizard. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash wizard for your first free month of treatment at Keeps. Keeps. Hair today, hair tomorrow. Uh, Merrick says uh, we would we would told the actors very little. It was mostly about trying to give them the information that they absolutely needed, but keeping everything as secret as possible. Heather Donahue had to get a crash course in camera op uh, operation over uh, just in over two days' time. Um, they they some of the townspeople. 
were just actors that you can uh, tell which ones were actors. Yeah, <laughs> but they weren't told the 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 actors weren't the our main actors weren't told about who was what mm-hmm. essentially they were just given as little little information well like the old man that gives like the really deep description of uh what's his name par rasp par uh yeah uh, he's definitely like a plan. His acting is terrible. But then there's a scene where like this mom is carrying a kid and she's like, oh yeah, we used to tell all sorts of stories. And the kid starts freaking out and like trying to t- make her stop. That was all fa- That was all real. That was like, just they grabbed her and was like, hey, you want to help us with a movie? And yeah. like that, like, so that again, that, that weird uneasiness between reality and fake. And like, kept this movie fascinating. And Heather Donahue really brought a lot to like her, her character going into it. She says, I knew that Mike's character was the sound guy, Josh's character was the camera guy, and I knew that my character was the director. I wrote that whole piece in the cemetery. All those bits were my characters reading the narration for her documentary. I did research on all kinds of symbolic symbols and Wicca and how to stay alive in the woods. I did Again, a very oh good God. job of freaking myself out as best I could before we even got that, there. That scene, that early scene where she's like delivering the monologue, it was yeah. like, we are here in Blair. Where she many wrote pe- all of that for, because, for her And thing. you 100% as believe the director, that she this, would have written all of that. You, you believe know? her because she is this theater kid trying yeah. to make this spooky uh, uh, monologue. Right. Like again, it's it's the- it naturally just works because of the scenario they set up for themselves. Yeah, and I don't know if I, I could only assume the other found footage films that would come after this were not nearly as method as this, or not nearly as experimental as this in terms of their method. I mean, the fact that it even worked on any level is shocking. Yes. because they had they were trying something for the very first time. They had no idea if it was going to work or not, and I'm kind of. I'm kind of astounded that they went through with it. All parties involved. That the direction side, the directors and all the people on that side of things were 100%. Because, I mean, I saw in this... By the way, always a big thanks to an oral history when it happens for these episodes. And The Week is where we found the oral history of Blair, which a lot of these quotes come from that. Um, And it's just a fascinating, fascinating read. But they were even talking about how when it was all said and done, they were were kind of shocked that they didn't run into some horrible medical issue that no one sprained an ankle. I think it was Dan that said that, yeah, if literally one of them had... had uh, twisted their ankle during the shoot, it would have financially bankrupted. They, yeah. they didn't have the time. The whole they didn't thing have... would have been fucked. Yeah. The fact that these people were able to just be in the woods, being starved, lost all over the place, you know, of course they were always around like watching them and whatever, like hiding in fucking camouflage. Well, okay. All right. Military training time. So Hale says, I have been through survival school when I was in the army. Uh, and that inspired me to run the actors through a kind of storytelling survival school obstacle course. We gave them, I think that this should be done more often, by the way. <laughs> like, I think that this should be tried again because it worked out so well and it's fascinating. We gave them GPSs in the woods and ran them through a series of things that would happen to them but they didn't know what was going to happen to them and we would just allow them to record their reactions to the stuff that was happening to them we were out in the woods but the actors didn't know it we were camouflaged and we built little hiding places where we could be close to them and see them we were out literal there. fox like foxholes where they could just like just dive into and just watch them over the horizon heather donahue says we didn't have to skin skin squirrels or anything it was kind of a daily use park we had to stop shooting for families going past on their bikes <laughs> 
Which I think is amazing. That was that was one thing in the movie is that like even I mean I'm not an outdoorsman, but like even when they were running around, I'm like this is a public park. This is not yeah. like the deep yeah. like unknown. Lost and Lord. that you know it's it's the actors were very strange, like almost strangely committed. You could only get this kind of commitment, I think, from some young, like ready to just give anything a shot kids you know yeah. like 20s early 20s style like kids because um they they even had they had a safe word for each other they would say taco and to then each the other, other two would have to have acknowledge to repeat taco back to each other and then they could commence with talking outside of their character and being themselves i really like that, that image of these three people in the woods being like you you lost a fucking man this fucking bullshit it's been bullshit from day one we're gonna die out here man taco 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 so wait is my motivation that i want to get out or am i like yeah, accepting I think that you i think you do want to get out but there's just something i don't know what's your relationship with your mother do you think uh i i want to see her again like okay. that that okay. i'm not then gonna you want to get out then okay you get out. all right okay so <clears throat> burrito what the fuck man? <laughs> burrito <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, 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 that's pretty wild, uh, that they were just a completely, I would not trust these people. I would, no. I would, to, to, I would be so untrustworthy. And by, okay, what we're describing too was eight days, by the way. Yeah. We should, we should state that as well. It was a, a week and a day, not, not like some months long craziness, right? Um, so I, I but I wouldn't trust these people with my life. I mean, I, I swear, I've been out on shoots that have just been, like, real janky, real bad, like, you know, real gross uh, environment, and you just fucking do it, because you made it, you're already out there. Yeah. You made the journey, you agreed to it, and there's, it's either you're going to do it or you're not. Uh, but, so now the pattern starts where they're they're in the woods, uh, they're filming on two cameras and a DAT, which is a digital audio tape recorder, Um each one has their own individual uh, instructions, and uh, if they're not doing exactly what the directors want, they have walkie-talkies, and they'll have to sequester themselves and get new instructions. Yep. And at night, the directors, along with a few other film crew members, uh, set up elaborate, just like, I, I don't know, Russell parties, <laughs> where they're snapping sticks yeah. and like playing speakers of yep. spooky noises and setting up all of the individual... Uh, what's what do you call it? Occult ghibli goos. Yeah, the tw- the the sticks and the twine. The stick men, the, the little bundles, stick things. Yeah, the fun uh, the little rock bundles. Piles. Fundles is what I call fundles. Them. Um, <laughs> you know they they contacted a local a near uh, a, a local dentist. Oh no no it was oh, like yeah, one of the it yeah, was like one teeth. of the director's dentists to like get the intact bloody teeth. Yeah, that's kind of amazing. That uh, was in the middle of one of the fun. So that's actual human teeth. Those are actual human teeth. And that's pretty fun that they did that. That was a big that was a fun reveal. I mean, I would be terrified that I was in my own surreal um situation where I was being tricked into making a movie. And really, these people were actually trying to terrorize and kill me by the end. Like, I would be convinced of that, I feel like. I'm sure the thought crossed their minds. So, Josh exits at oh, one point. So, oh, are you, so, are you gonna get- uh, so, one, so the beauty of this system where they're, like, receiving incomplete instructions and being kind of guided means that when they stumble across stuff like the house at the end and the stick men and the rock piles and all this, those are natural reactions. They yeah. are just, you know, they don't know what they're looking for uh, and they have to, like, they dis- they make these discoveries in real time along with their characters. 
Um, the day that Josh uh, was to go away, uh, he says, that day my note said, when everybody goes to bed tonight, stay awake, and once you're sure they're asleep, uh, leave the tent. If anybody wakes up, tell them you're going to take a piss. That's all I knew. I just waited until they fell asleep, got up, and walked out of the tent. Ed and Dan and Greg and maybe uh, Ben Rock were there. Production, the production di- designer Ben Rock were there waiting for me with flashlights. And they said, you're dead, dude. And they took me out to a really nice meal at Denny's. <laughs> a and, nice uh, meal. Yeah, and that Moons? was always the thing. They always celebrated it with by having a big old nice meal at Denny's. So that wasn't originally intended. Uh, like I said, Mike was supposed originally to be Originally Mike. One. Yeah, Mike was uh, supposed to go. But the weird tension between the actors, Heather and Josh, uh, became so, like their, their in-character fights became so aggressive and so uh, repetitive. That they were just like, we can't have the rest of the movie be this. So yeah. they like kind of pulled an audible and tagged Josh out. Josh was ecstatic to uh, actually be able to leave early because he had a hookup for Jane's addiction tickets. Yeah, walk right. That's that is Jane's addiction. And the final scenes were filmed at uh, the historic Griggs House, a 200-year-old building located in the Patapsco Valley State Park near Granite, Maryland. They uh, would they blocked all of the entrances except for one. They had I love this part. They had radio of Josh's voice all throughout the house, and that's what was guiding them to run to different places in the house as they're running through trying to find him. Um, and uh, it all wrapped up that night on Halloween. It wasn't supposed to, but yeah, they yeah. had after, at, you know, and uh, what was it at their very nice dinner at Denny's, like covered in grime, uh, having just been screaming about witches for over a week straight. There were actual witches and ghosts just yep. eating fucking just pancakes. dressed up and yeah, eating pancakes at Denny's. Uh, pretty amazing. That last scene in the house, uh, you know, they came across it naturally, but there's so many quick cuts and so many specific you know, you have to make sure you get the little kid handprints, which are fucking creepy. Mm-hmm. You have to make sure you get all the cool Celtic and Hebraic runes that are like all over the walls. You have to make sure that, you know, they go up and then sideways and then down and then back into the basement. Uh, so that segment of the movie, actually, you know, there were directors yelling like cut and like there were people setting stuff up again. Uh, and it's kind of what, again, makes that scene so like uh, uh, stand out. It's kind of, if you think about, I feel like most people, I'm, ba- I'm basically just relying on YouTube here. The most <laughs> sought after clip from uh, the Blair Witch Project is that house scene. Yes, that, that is. Ending. Oh, well, that's by far. And this is where I, I come in and say, I mean, the movie largely drags until we get to the house. And then it all kind of happens at once. And it's very thrilling. And I really enjoyed the house scene. But yes, that is, I think, largely because that's one of the only times when something actually happens in the movie. <laughs> but if you don't know that, if you don't yeah. know when the happening is right, happening. Right, It builds better, yeah. I feel like, and again, this isn't a it's long movie. It's just not a very rewatchable movie. It's, it's like it's like fucking Sixth Sense. It's just not very rewatchable. You know which, what I mean? Which came out around came the out same like time. right around the same time. Yeah, again, yeah. And if it wasn't for kind of Blair Witch kind of restoking the fire of sincere horror, uh, Sixth Sense might not have done as well as a box office. Right, right. Um, but uh, it's only an 80-something minute movie. It's not like yeah. when you say it drags, it's like kind of breezy and it's kind of a fun experience when all is said and done because it's not that long. You're like, right. we live in a very uh, uh, excitable time. So being like bored for 80 minutes feels longer. Right. But uh, 
I like it's actually there's something very interesting. The way you said it's not a rewatchable movie because it wasn't a movie; it was an experience. Yes, it was and a it was, theme park ride. And the it reason was, why it was re it actually it was rewatchable. They found, but only because it was people wanting to take people who didn't know it was fake mm-hmm. and watch it with them to get their reaction. You yeah. know what I mean? And that was what it was all about. It was rewatchable in that sense. It was social. Yeah. Like, it's uh, very social, very social happening. I mean, I didn't even the, like. You know this is? I didn't even like horror movies back then, but I had to go see it opening night because it was the only. Th- it was the talk of the town. It was. It's the cinematic equivalent of Pokemon Go. Yeah. Nobody is like going to say even if <laughs> you didn't it. like the game that first week where Pokemon Go was a thing, you were out and about and you were meeting strangers and it was like fun and you looked in your cell phone and there were like cool monsters on your street corner and like it was fun and exciting and like. For a million dollars, I wouldn't, like, start over or start playing on my own for fun. Right, right. But I can't deny that they did something interesting. That summer was so fun. Yeah. Like, there were just a bunch of excited people on the streets mm-hmm. with their cell phones. And, like, it was uh, in that summer. It was very fun. It was it was the Pokemon Go of watching three uh, people in their early 20s die in a basement. Yes, exactly. Well, we haven't even talked about the post-production. There were 20 hours of footage that they had to cut down to two and a half hours at first which took over eight months to do and originally like we alluded to before they were not finished filming the movie at that point they were going to try to make an in search of like movie where it was uh interviewees analyzing the footage they even hired an actress to play heather's mom and an actor to play a detective they hired and did fake newscasts and they were doing all this stuff for that full like fake like well, the, in Blair, Maryland, uh, very mysterious going on was happening. But they, like, this was brilliant. This is, I think, what saved the movies, this decision. Oh, yes, 100%. Is, uh, 100%. Rather than making a note-for-note tonal, like, recreation of a very outdated kind of form of storytelling. Yeah. <laughs> they, they made a new kind of story. Yeah, they latched onto what they had that was actually compelling. And what they had was this footage of this real-ass feeling footage of these three actors having real ass reactions to real ass spooky stuff in the woods and uh the way that they uh judiciously cut down this how many hours did you say uh it was 20 hours so they cut down 20 hours of footage into 80 minutes yeah into at first it was two and a half hours but then yes 80 minutes and honestly if you filmed anything for 20 hours you would find 80 minutes of compelling stuff in there. Sure. Even if it was just doing the laundry, even if it was just visiting your grandma at the old folks home, even if it was doing your taxes with Dr. Reality as he kicked through your window and demanded that you get your balls checked for cancer screening. 401k! Go back to hell, Dr. Reality! (gasps) I cast thee back to hell! I I I I I will be back. (laughs) With the way, way back! Oh. Oh, shit, we built lore. Oh boy, we built some lore today. Well, speaking of lore building, the wiki. Speaking of lore building, that was a big part of what they did. They created a website. Sanchez builds built this crude website that built off of the legend with a mythology timeline. This is when he's starting to create the mythology more specifically, putting it in place. How 1999 is this website? Let me tell you about white text on a black background. Oh boy, and embedded .mov files. And fans of the project. I tried going to the website Uh and like. The I my uh, home computer is like plugged into my 4K TV, and my 
system did not understand even <laughs> how to process footage that low res. Because, <laughs> you know, this was these yeah. were video clips you had to watch over dial-up. Oh, just, yeah, it's just, just insane. Blurry pixels exploding just in front of insane. my eyes. So, yeah, it was... Um, it was th- th- even fans of the project started creating their own websites to even build it out even more. This is like... OG guerrilla internet marketing. This is this is on the cusp. These people were really creating. We're, we're doing all of these things for the first time constantly. the The word around town is that the 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 film was real and that the these kids were dead. You know, Hale said of this, it was pretty easy to access information proving that those actors were still alive. One thing that Artisan did that was pretty brilliant is that they somehow convinced IMDb to list the actors for a while as missing, presumed dead which is pretty incredible but there was definitely evidence out there that they were still alive and by the way artisan comes into play because this movie gets into sundance oh shit yeah that's a big deal. That's a huge deal. They have a huge party. Um, it, they, Lloyd they, Kaufman is just staring through the window, shaking his fist at them. <laughs> they just just shocked that they even got in. And it's a giant hit at Sundance after its midnight premiere on January 25th, 1999. Artisan Entertainment buys the dis- distribution rights for $1.1 million. This is within the first night. They were the first yeah. movie to get sold. Uh, you know, the line was out the door. You know, people were like hungry for a new horror movie, something that broke the mold. And like all the big wigs came in. Artisans saw that like this was going to be one of the fiercest fights of the festival. Uh-huh. And so they came in on day one and was like, we'll give you one point one million dollars. Boom. Done over they uh did also request a different ending felt the original was confusing they ended up shooting four alt endings one that was uh very gory um and different different kind of things like that and myrick says at the end of the day they ended up going with the uh with the original ending with the you know facing the wall and all that good stuff what makes us fearful is something that's out of the ordinary unexplained the first ending kept the audience off balance myrick says it challenged our real world con- con- conventions and that's what really made it scary. I don't know why he said conventions like that, but that's how he said conventions, Jake. Um, Artisan absolutely leans into the uh, surreality of the movie. Yeah. Uh, much to the point that uh, it affects the actors' lives because, you know, the once you get paid for an indie, you know, for a student film, that's it. You're, you know, you don't get points on the gross yeah. on some weird indie, like, student film you made. Right, that's right. unheard of. But Artisan keeps pumping out content and press releases and, uh, you know, swag with like these three people with the exact names. And they're down to you. And Mike, <laughs> what, you know, they are dead. These three people are dead. And they fucking died. This was a big. Josh Leonard is dead. This was a big debate with the filmmakers. They didn't want to be known as like hoax hoaxers. Too you know bad. What I mean? They didn't want to be. They were trying to figure and out. And the what... creator of uh, Tomb Raider didn't want Lara Croft to be a pinup girl. <laughs> what are you going to do? They, they, uh, they. They, they kept going back and forth in terms of the the ethics of what they were doing. They didn't want it this to just be some flash in the pan, like uh, bait and switch kind of cheap trick. They wanted the film to be, you know, be seen and enjoyed and not necessarily like um, kind of like the way I felt when I was like going into it, knowing that it, knowing that they were kind of trying to make it seem like it was real. But then learning that it was fake 
definitely took a lot of the air out of the movie for me. You know? uh, can I uh, read a story from uh, sure. Heather Donahue? Sure, sure, sure. Uh, Heather has told this story in a couple of interviews where she talks about the movie has become a viral sensation. Uh, it was selling out limited theaters. It was going for a wide release. And uh, she was trying to take advantage of this heat that she could, even though every piece of media about this thing was talking about how she was dead. And she was literally stranded in L.A. Uh, waiting for her 1984 Toyota Celica to stop overheating um, yes. while looking up. And there was a billboard of her own face just kind of staring down at her. That famous poster where they used the uh, snot nosed like kind of close up shot. Yeah. Um, and so she uh, in a she sat down for an interview later that day and kind of just, you know, remarked, uh, you know, I'm the poorest famous person in America right now. Yeah. And instead of paying her, Artisan sent her a threatening phone call telling her she can't talk like that and then sent her a cheap fruit basket, uh, one that with, uh, quote, the crap kind with pears and water crackers and mostly packaging. Uh, I, Josh also has a fruit basket story when yes. he also was like, hey, I'm a working actor. Stop saying I died. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty frustrating. Yeah. They kind of got a, a shitty into the stick there on that one, huh? Um, and, and that is, that is unfortunate. I, I know that, uh, for, for her, they asked like, what was the, what kind of the worst of it? Uh, for Heather, she said the worst part, hard to pick people being angry at you for being alive. This overarching feeling that oh, it would that, have, that does have to suck. Like, you're, yeah. you know, you're talking to someone They're like mad at you cause you, because you're, you're the one breaking the news to you then. Yeah. Cause like they feel tricked in yeah. that exact second. They're talking to you. The because alive you actress. are exist. Yeah. Um, the uh, overarching feeling that it would have been more convenient for people if you were actually dead. The realization that giving an honest performance actually kind of shot me in the foot. I should have stopped and put mascara on. I shouldn't have worn layers. That kind of thing. The same thing that made her like not a classic scream queen meant that she wasn't going to get traditional actress roles. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, and and she went, she ends up... Uh, uh, starting her own grow up. Um, she started a few more horror movies, but then uh, eventually quit the business and started a medical marijuana grow yeah, up. And she seems pretty happy. She's actually working on a television show that's based off her experiences. I think she, I believe it was called Grow Up or something like that. Uh, she wrote a book that did very well about her post Blair Witch experiences and starting the uh, grow operation and everything. So that's kind of nice. She ended up in, in a pretty good place. But these actors definitely, it was a very uh, bittersweet situation success for them josh uh still has scattered um acting roles here and there nothing like major um he's married to allison pill canadian actress the redhead who does stuff uh <laughs> so he's fine uh mike started his own improv theater near his oh, nice. hometown and uh during the uh last uh, you know last i could find of him he uh became a school guidance counselor oh. and theater teacher very cool because mike is the rock that this whole <laughs> movie is moored upon he's the best guy he eats a leaf. Remember when he eats a leaf? Yes. It's as close to comedy as we get. Uh, and, you know, this movie made for $30,000, give or take. It's kind of debated how much it was made 30, for. 30000 60000 Around 30 is what it seems to be. Uh, it makes t over $29 million, uh, being the highest budget-to-profit margin in cinema history at that point. It it's 
unreal. Wait, is that the opening much... weekend or is that just like because total? I think it's closer to two hundred fifty. Two hundred fifty million. Yeah, maybe you're right. I think maybe that's just opening weekend or something. So yeah, I'm, I, I, that, you're right. Yeah, it, it makes so so much like money. Like the for Runaway how much Bride and Blair Witch Project, and it made everybody weekend. question in in Hollywood. I mean. Just how like how the business is changed by this. I mean, the fact that and and even more so now. I mean, there's still movies being shot on iPhone cameras and stuff now that are successful. No one know? ever got away with that. Every I feel like I've heard of eighteen thousand different films being like, oh, what makes ours interesting is we shot it all on a cell phone, <laughs> and like I've never seen a hit cell phone movie. Um, arguably, Tangerine is that. Oh, uh, Tangerine's yeah, that, awesome. That, that kind of counts. I love yeah. that movie, but uh, it's not like a giant smash, but it's definitely a fantastic movie shot only on iPhone cameras. Uh, it so, paved the way for T.J. Miller and Cloverfield <laughs> revolutionizing. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it also paved the way for another Blair Witch movie that was a horrible failure. Artisan uh, wants Myrick and Sanchez to immediately make another film. And they were, at, I'm shocked because I originally thought I was going to see, read about them, having all of this go to their head, mm-hmm. having them make a bunch of dumb moves in Hollywood after that. But it really wasn't necessarily so. They didn't end up having these like prolific careers after that. But they definitely told Artisan, hey, we a we want to make a, a prequel set in period times. Do an Ellie Kedward yeah. gothic American. That would be movie. like completely different, a totally different type of movie. They said, can we? Can you give us a couple years because we see the hype and we know that this is going to kick us in the in the ass mm-hmm. if we immediately throw another movie out there because this is the way the hype train works. They could see that and yeah. sense that, but Artisan's like, no, no, no. They could already. We're going to just make a movie. Just give us your blessing. We're just going to make another one. Okay. We make a lot of like blanket creative advice in, on this show I feel like it's been a while uh, just do your thing uh, all this kind of stuff and <laughs> recognizing the exact second that's our creative devi- advice just do your thing <laughs> uh, no if it's like like if you believe in it it's probably a reason right 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 I know I just think it's um, funny way to put it uh, and knowing like the when the the gear shift between oh hey this is surprisingly good and Oh God! Shut about this! Shut up about this thing! It's not that good. It's like it's a hair trigger, and you got to know when to like jump off board, right? Um, and I- they already saw that happening with the Blair Witch thing, and they Artisan went ahead with it, and it ended up they get Joe Berlinger, who is uh, an Academy Award nominated director. So it's a kind of a smart idea. They got a documentarian. He made the Paradise Lost trilogy about the Memphis Three. He was like pr- really prolific with the true crime genre of documentaries, uh, and he wanted to make a film that was a meditation on mass hysteria and the lazy consumption of media that led many to accept the first film as a true documentary about a group of people obsessed with the first film that go into the woods and uh the whole you know they all you know the whole thing falls apart or whatever uh and uh he says of this i thought a more interesting way of connecting blair witch 2 to the documentary tradition would be to try to make a movie that tells a story like a good documentary does that is infused with social commentary because that is what a documentary is a documentary is not about shaking the camera around it's about telling a story that was social commentary embedded in it um all the way by the way what a dig at the first blair witch by saying so you can tell he actually doesn't respect the first movie you know what i mean i think that's one of the biggest problems with 
his telling of it and um, Maybe the shakiness of the camera by the way is uh, it was so shaky that some people got motion sickness from seeing the film there were actually warnings going into the theater being like if you're susceptible to motion sickness you might have an issue with please this sit, movie. sit near the exit so you don't puke directly on the carpet yeah yeah so that um, was that was the a trick big... is you got to sit towards the center of the it's actually oh. the further to the side you are the more jarring the motion is if you kind of like hmm. sit closer to the center it kind of focuses your eye to the middle and the motion isn't that jarring. oh interesting that's true of any shaky cam found footage movie so yeah they they uh you know myrick and um sanchez right sanchez myrick and sanchez Sanchez. were were very uh frustrated with artisan they they pushed them out completely from any further work on on the franchise they they had all these ideas they gave notes to the people who wrote the script for the second movie and they were completely ignored. Mm-hmm. They they just were really dashed to the side, which is so insane to me because they were like these g- massive innovators and they were com- clearly showing Artisan and whoever else, you know, what the what the new way was or a new direction and then they're like, no, 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 we'll just make a sequel immediately and we'll just have it be like, whatever. We'll just fucking, fu- you know, just make a standard pump out a sequel mm. situation. Whereas um, really if they had maybe listened to them, there could have been some interesting movies and there could have been an actual full on world of Blair Witch content that we would still be enjoying today. Yeah, For many, like the lesson should have been take risks and like, you know, don't uh, give in to conventional wisdom. People are hungry for things you couldn't even imagine. Um, instead, the lesson was if you don't spend money, you get to keep money. <laughs> I'm a professional film producer. (laughs) Oh, no. Is Dr. Reality a film producer? (laughs) And then, of course, there is the uh, 2016 Blair Witch, which I'm actually I'm very sad to say I have not seen this uh, before coming in here today. I meant to watch it. There's only two things I know about or three things. Uh, First is uh, part of the part of the like very important plot of the movie is that one of the characters uh is still trying to find he- their relative like sister or cousin heather in the woods but like dude it's been 20 years. even if <laughs> like maybe if the movie took place like a month after right, the first right, one right. But 20 years dude she dead um the second one is uh, it was directed by adam wingard who he did your next he did the guest which we talked about actually if you remember matt mcmuscles we yeah. talked about a lot he did the and death, death note, note. <laughs> but he made your next and the guest and your next and the guest are both fucking awesome horror thriller films they are amazing they are probably two of my favorite like horror movies of the past like five years or whatever it, it they're they're wonderful movies wonderful films um and also it was, they did a surprise screening at san diego comic-con yes they're just like haha idiots here's the whole movie and they called it uh the woods to try to get haters to not be aware of the fact that it existed until it was finally just out. Mm. They didn't want the internet to shit all over it or, or whatever. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it featured a larger cast of people. I wanted to see it. I really am a fan of Adam Wingers for for those other for those two movies. So I really would like to check it out, but it has not gotten the best reaction. Um, to sum it all up, I guess uh, I could say Heather uh, could say actually. Um, this is a quote from her. It has informed my entire adult life. I don't know my life without it. You know what I mean? I don't know my own name without it. If I have a regret about the entire thing, I definitely would not have used my real name. That's how invasive it was into her life. And the way I would sum it up is, I don't think um, it's a great film. But as I stated before, it, uh, it is insanely innovative 
and an very impressive work. And the making of it is actually more interesting. I would almost rather see a documentary about the making of it than see it again, ever again. Uh, it is a fascinating approach to making movies, and it changed movie. It gave me some of my favorite horror movies. The, it, the, if Blair Witch didn't exist, I wouldn't have some of my favorite horror films of all time. I cannot recommend enough. Uh, Paranormal Activity. I really actually, I'm one of those that like enjoys the whole trilogy, really. But um, definitely, well, the I don't even know about the fourth. I don't even. I don't know if I've seen the fourth one. I think that's the one where I was like, ugh. Um, uh, it, 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 Paranormal Activity, Grave Encounters. I know I'm forgetting some. Uh, VHS. I think Rack, Troll Hunter. REC, Troll Hunter rules so hard. There's so many good ones, and of Cloverfield, of course. Uh, so good, so so good. These movies. They're such such uh, effective horror films that do something that so much of horror has is unable to do, which is really put you into a place of really like believing. You know, um, what I mean, my 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 fiance refuses to watch Paranormal Activity because she knows that's how effective that film has been for me, a horror movie lover. And she's too freaked out by demons. Mm. So like demonic stuff just totally fucks with her because they don't they can't be reasoned with. They exist only to cause malice. And, 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 you know, and she's like a believer in in and you know she's a woman of faith a woman of the of the of the blood yes. no. <laughs> she is a woman of the blood uh and a woman of the blood to you all uh i think this wraps up our blair wish project was that a weird way to end it? i mean yeah it's i guess all i want to say is like it's fascinating that like i will never have that like moment in 1999 where reality kind of bent in on itself and there was something truly terrifying in the movie theater uh and like it's 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 compelling for that reason that it's a movie that as time goes on, you need more and more uh, uh, context to like appreciate it fully. And hopefully this episode, if you haven't watched it before, if you, ha- it's, you haven't watched it since 1999, if you maybe haven't it'll seen be it, worth definitely a, check it out. Yeah. yeah. If you haven't seen it, you should check it out once. Uh, but Just I'm for glad, the innovation. I'm thankful to uh, Fright Day Podcast yeah. for uh, letting us do this. I don't know if we'd have come across it naturally. Yeah. And, uh, you know. Uh, fucking shake things up. Do and, something weird. And shake it off, as the great Snake Lord T-Swift would say. Shake it off indeed. Oh, God, we got to go. Oh, no, we he's gotta... coming back. He's coming back. Look, uh, just, just if you'd like to check us out on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Uh, you can support us. You could get your own podcast episode if you wanted. Have uh, you brought a new winter coat no, yet? They're no, on, no, it's why would it's I get a winter coat? It's July. Okay, it's, when no, no, it's, August. it's August. Uh, uh, You'll uh, save money. You can follow me on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash holdenators ho. Uh, Jake? Yeah, you, oh, God, you can find me on t- on Twitter at bestjakeyoung. Uh, um have you thought about retirement? Have you thought about, have you thought about no, retirement? No, I'm fucked. My whole generation's fucked. We're all fucked. Uh, <laughs> also on dorkly.com on the YouTube, you can, you can, I, I do stuff for them. Just feel like you might need some new clothes, Jake. So maybe we should go to the store too, next I, week. I'm right. I can't buy clothes while I'm this fat. I gotta lose weight first. We gotta get out of here. Have a good one, everybody. And take care. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... 
Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.